Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to episode 143 of Geek Town Radio. This week I have with me Bex. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. I've been spending a lot of time wandering around castles and things recently, which is pretty <laughs> good fun. Yes, I noticed that on your uh, various feeds. It's any, any particular reason for castles or just you like castles? I'm, I'm sorry, but has anyone ever not got a reason to go to a castle? <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of scoping out, you know, like good fixer-uppers. Um, <laughs> I can really see myself living in a castle. Um, that's that's yeah. been something I've, I've known that since I was very small. I have to say, <laughs> uh, but we've yeah I've been going off with with mates around castles and we've been adventuring and stuff. And um, we went off to the beach when we had that one day of sun recently as well. Nice and. Um, there were loads of uh, beach huts, all with different, you know, cute colours and names and decorations. And there was one that just had nondescript decoration, and the sign just said Jabba. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "There's some people after my own heart." That's brilliant. I like that. But yeah, uh, that, that was pretty good. I, I love all the stuff you can find when you go on at little adventures like that. You just like, you know, hop in a car or hop on a train and go somewhere random and uh, run around and pretend to be a, a, a knight or a or a dragon or whatever really <laughs> yeah average day for you really <laughs> i'd like that to be my that's what i'm working towards that's my goal if my average day is wearing my dragon hoodie running around castles <laughs> then i'm just going to be like life success done <laughs> Oh, so yes, unfortunately, earning money gets in the way, which is kind of annoying. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, what what else have you been doing? What have you been doing TV wise? Uh, well, we've had lots of rain, so that's been helping me watch a fair amount of TV. I binge watched through the latest season of Black Mirror that's up on Netflix at the moment. Yes, um, I yeah, that was really really mixed for me. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I, I re- think really yeah. bizarre one. I think lots of um, more of the shock and horror elements. A few of them I thought would have made good kind of horror sci-fi rather yeah. than this kind of more um, satirical examining of society kind of thing that Black Mirror has been going for till now. I quite liked the first episode with the um, Star Trek, but not. Yes. Yeah. And the sort of twist on who you think the protagonist is going to be in these kind of things. But it was, it was a really weird one. Very varied. Some of them were good, but they just weren't Black Mirror. No, I know what you mean. It felt a little bit like he's not really writing Black Mirror episodes anymore. He's just writing stuff that he likes to write i think you there's know. lots more writers involved i think now and that's making Maybe that's it more why, varied yeah. um i felt some things like um oh the one where the woman was evading the dogs the robots yeah there was no real commentary on anything or explanation and anything in that no. and although it was quite well filmed and it was quite a good exercise in you know just that kind of drama and suspense and things i sort of got to the end and i'd, I'd guessed long before the end what the kind of twist reveal was going to be and i sort of felt like i could have watched the first couple of minutes and the last couple of minutes yeah and that I, would have been enough that was the one that when we were talking about it after the i'd, I'd binge watched through it a few weeks ago and i said that felt like a really well done student film for me <laughs> You're not you know. the first person who's used that exact phrase. <laughs> I have to say, very someone, uh, very unusual choices because I've rewatched a few of the older series ones. Yeah, just afterwards because I was like, well, maybe I'm just 
setting the bar too high based on my memories of these previous ones. And I was like, no, the earlier ones were much more a commentary on yeah. on society, on life and things like that. Um, it, it was a weird one. It was a weird one. Um, if they're going in a different direction, then fair enough. If they felt they've exhausted the material, they have what they were doing before. But it didn't so much feel like the, the same Black Mirror. It's more kind of evolving into something else, yeah. um, which is not quite as much in my area star trek discovery on the other hand was um surprising me for completely different reasons yes <laughs> uh, i won't say too much about what's happened in the, the couple of episodes that are up for people that aren't up to date because it's only just started again but they're managing to to do things that i just don't think are going to happen right okay I'm, I'm, every time something like sort of happens that's a dramatic twist i just sit there go ah i i didn't actually see that coming remotely yeah um, yeah I, I mean there's been rumors going around about the the possibility of of the direction of one particular character for a while so i kind of knew that that was likely to happen the mirror universe thing as well had sort of been hinted at but i think they are doing some very interesting stuff with that show and it's very Mm. different to any other star trek you've ever seen so for that i think it should definitely be applauded it's a great great series yeah it's more the things that they do um it's come with a big plot things i think i've pretty much figured out what's happening with one of the the main characters i think they've hinted enough at that just in the last episode that we're pretty sure what's going on there but it's some things that are done just kind of suddenly and in small things so it's just kind of like and that person's gone and that's happened and oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, those those quick fire just and we're moving on and you're like hang on a minute that's a really sudden dramatic thing to, to, to do and they just kind of carried on like nothing's happened yes and well like, I, I think oh. I, I mentioned I think I mentioned last week after last week's episode or was it the week before Mike who occasionally does the show tweeted me going this is like Game of Thrones in space um, mm, so. yes that's a good way of describing it yeah it's got that kind of you aren't you aren't no character is safe yes i think is the, is yeah. the thing you don't you don't get too much warning on these things which i think is quite interesting i'm keep wondering if the mirror universe is somehow going to tie up to some of the other mirror universe stuff we get like in ds9 well i mean I they, they have to be a, the whole thing with the defiance is a tie into i think it's enterprise actually it's a tie into so they are they are kind of calling back a bit it's not the defiant that's in ds9 it's a ship called yeah. the defiant isn't it that's that they're, yeah. they're I tracking that because they knew what it was and if it was the ds9 one it would have been too late in the in the timeline for yeah. for these guys to know what it was so i figured it was the one from from enterprise but as soon as they mentioned it i was like oh that reminds me of another mirror universe with evil versions of people and yes it does make me wonder if they will pull a few a few things in from there because i happen to particularly love that world yeah but this no, one definitely. looks like it's going to be pretty interesting as well. Um, Tilly is uh, stepping up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Killy. <laughs> Killy, yeah. yeah. Tilly slash Killy is um, is stepping up. So that, she's, that's she's been brilliant. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, been really good. What else did I watch? I, I, I watched all of the, the first series of The Tick. Oh, yes, yes. Well, all of the first half of the first series of The Tick. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so that's been um, interesting, entertaining. It's one of those ones I can't decide if I like it or not, but I seem to have watched the whole thing. So yes, yeah, we'll go with yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very easy watch. It's fun it, and it silly. Is. It's and very it's... silly and it's slightly silly in a different way than the cartoons were. But there's right, something yeah. that the kind of the overall plot they've got going through it is actually pretty well done. And I, I really like Miss Lint. Yes. <laughs> I have to say. Uh, and I, I binge watched all of Dirk Gently in the end because I think last time I was on, I'd watched a few episodes. Yeah. It's a while ago now. And I really wasn't sure about it. And um, I've seen all of the two series that are up on Netflix now. <laughs> yes. Uh, the second series, I watched pretty much back to back over like just a couple of days. That, it wow. got so good. It got yeah. so interesting and so good. And it got so out there. And it, it really cause found its feet, found its own voice. Mm. Um, the further it moved away from any of its original origins, it became its own complete own thing. Right. And then they cancelled it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I it, it was cancelled by, because I think it's a BBC America show, isn't it? And yeah. uh, BBC America have cancelled it. I mean, it wouldn't be impossible for Netflix, who co-partnered it, to carry on with it, but they haven't said they are going to do that yet. At the moment, it's definitely cancelled. One more series would have been good, because although they wrapped up the storyline, they wrapped up you know series one the storyline wrapped up and left a few threads to evolve on and then series two it does wrap up the complete story of series two but i think one more series to have just seen what was going to happen with those remaining threads i think that would have been really nice because like the first series i was so up and down with it 
but the the second series especially more because it had more of um the rowdy three and amanda right it was it was did you watch the second series i haven't yet no it's it's a lot better it's also a lot crazier okay like significantly stepped up the 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 kind of ridiculousness of what was going on because the the first series was obviously pretty pretty bizarre but the second series it goes off into like fairy tale worlds and all sorts right okay well that's (laughs) that's kind of interesting i it's one that i will probably possibly get back to i don't think i actually finished the first series I, i think i was about halfway through and mm. other things got in the way so i need to go back to it and and uh, watch it because i know a lot of people have said that it's really good it got better it just took a little while to kind of warm up to it and for yeah. it to kind of find its its voice a bit but it definitely it got better and better the longer it went on yeah definitely what else have i been watching i watched a couple of um i think they're netflix original movies oh right recently yeah. uh, i watched uh, what happened to monday okay which is about uh, seven identical twins in a world where you're only allowed one child due to resources. Right, And okay. seven of them live as one. Uh, right, interesting, yes. So they're all called days of the week. And each day of the week that's their name, they get to go and be the personality that they are legally. And then there's <laughs> the other six of them had to stay in the house. Interesting, um, yes. And then one day Monday doesn't come back. Okay. Um, so it's kind of a sci-fi thriller type thing. It doesn't go as much into the kind of workings of, of the world as I would have liked but it's very very well put together and I watched another one called Other Life I'm sure it's called Other Life right. um, which is sort of um, an older Black Mirror episode turned movie effectively <laughs> right okay it's a woman invents a technology where you can buy eyedroppers like a sort of like a drugs type thing you can implant memories of entire days into people's minds okay yeah. so she wants to use it to save her brother who's in a coma by giving him a way out kind of thing yeah. trying to but the only way she can fund that is by making snowboarding experiences and skydiving experiences for the general public to buy <laughs> um, and then the government start wanting to get involved because they want to use it for um, solitary confinement so you could make someone live like several years sentence of prison but with one right. drop in like yeah, one day. Yeah. but that was quite interesting actually that was very well put together I, I did enjoy that one I think there's a lot of like interesting things sort of cropping up now when you start sort of digging in yeah it's uh, the problem you have with Netflix is there's so much stuff on there it's stumbling across stuff like that because I don't think I've seen either of those on my feed and both of which I sound quite interested in so um, yeah you it's have to just go looking stuff. for them I don't find their search mechanisms just aren't that good i would love no. to be able to just drill down to i want tv or movies or netflix original or old or new and, and a genre yeah. um and it may be a keyword like then you could just come up with so many things because i had to really hunt around to find this kind yeah. of stuff i was actively after i came across one i was actively looking so i was like okay so there are these good things on there which are pretty niche and pretty interesting and you know obviously they do vary in in quality but i'd like to to kind of dig these things up while i've you know got netflix ac- access for a bit um but they yeah. are quite hard to find yeah it's it's not very well structured there are third party websites that allow you to sort of dig through the catalogues i just don't know whether they'll work on netflix uk i see but if you go looking around online there are third-party websites that hook into the back end of the uh, netflix system i mean amazon has the same problem the amazon search mechanism on a lot of their apps is terrible as well for amazon prime so it's not purely a netflix problem but you think yeah. they've found a better way of mining through large amounts of data i mean you have to watch a lot on netflix for its recommended stuff to really start getting accurate as well and you can't even if they gave you your recommended list and let you segment it by tv shows versus movies versus originals or you know old or new just something like that because you know you just want to drill down a little bit more because you know vaguely what you're trying to look for yeah but i can't find a way of getting up netflix original science fiction yeah which seems quite counterintuitive when i'm actively trying to find their content yeah but we'll see hopefully that's something that will change in future especially because they're making a lot more original stuff as well yeah yeah it would be good to have a new version of the uh the app that's easier to search would be nice i think that's probably the main complaint about netflix at the moment yeah Uh, other than that uh non-TV related I've been playing with lightsabers <laughs> which is good um, a while ago I did the interview with the Silver Savers guys at yes. MCM yeah. and the lightsaber training yeah, yeah. I've had a lesson <laughs> it's really good I'm really bad 
<laughs> awesome. but I'm videoing it and things so I can video my in quotes progress because um, <laughs> I think that's probably a loose term but we'll, yeah we'll see how that goes it's a it's, it's really good fun hard work so are you doing that regularly then I'm going to be I've got my second lesson tomorrow wow so yes I, I need to put I now have legitimately need to purchase a lightsaber <laughs> <laughs> and there's so many choices there's so many different things they recommended yes, a company called uh, JQ Sabers who make one suitable for dueling and actually hitting things good and then you find out there's so many different options yes yeah so many no, different I've, things i've looked through through a few of those it's like do you want sound do you don't want sound do you want different hilts you've got color do you want how bright they do, do you custom want hilts. they do complete oh. custom hilts as well and you can have your own ones made up to specification and then i found out you can get ones with these they're called tricree leds in the hilt which mean you can choose the company i can have a purple lightsaber <laughs> And yes, I, just, well, there uh, you I was go. like, well, now I need a purple. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to go from owning no lightsaber and just playing with friends occasionally when they're not looking to, yeah. to owning a color changing battle ready lightsaber. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, yeah, you see, you've tempted me now. What are they called? JQ Sabers, you said. Yeah. The British company, um, just a two people team. Um, mm. They make them all by hand. Um, well, and they oh, seem really, I'm I've been asking them so many stupid questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, what does this mean? What does that mean? I have to go go and look them up. Oh, I've got two already. So I've got like a, a cheap fifty pound one that was a sort of Chinese knockoff, but he's actually really quite good. And I've got the original, the the proper official licensed one, which is Mace Force Windu's. Effects ones. Yeah, the Force Effects Mace yeah, Windu. Those one. ones you can't you can't actually. Um train no, with those though no. they're, they're they're very much um display on the wall pieces whereas these ones are yeah these are proper battle the same as swords yeah. and you can yeah like if, you can see when i start putting up some of the training videos it's like i'm holding it out my arms are aching from holding this thing out <laughs> and he's just like no you've got to hold it here and he's like hitting it with another lightsaber i'm like don't kill me. <laughs> um, but it's all i mean it, it's um it's safer than training with an actual sword yes well that is true he handed me an actual sword at one point so i could see the movements were the same and i <laughs> I was like, are you sure you want to hand me an actual point? <laughs> he clearly doesn't know you very well yet. <laughs> I think he's learned his lesson now. <laughs> but it's, it's really cool. It's hard work, but it's really cool. So soon I will be able to dress in my dragon hoodie, run around castles, wielding a lightsaber correctly. <laughs> well, at least people will know what to look for next time they visit a castle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't blend in really anymore. <laughs> As if you ever did. <laughs> Well, I'm hoping they'll see me and go, that's someone that knows what they're doing. <laughs> Hopefully, yes. Hashtag life goals or something. <laughs> oh, uh, what have you been up to? Well, um, basically this week I was working on iZombie and working my way through that. But uh, I, I then got a phone call about the possibility of going to possibly visit the set of Outlander so and I'm way way behind on Outlander so uh, I'm trying to catch up on that show at the moment and I'm just I think second episode of season two right now it's a really good show there's slightly too much I mean it's a star series so there's slightly too much gratuitous sex in it for my liking you know sex only is part of the plot line and there is genuine reasons for having it in certain places but there are certain episodes where you go really again <laughs> you know it just gets, gets a little much after a while but uh, in terms of the storyline I think the first season 16 episodes and I think you could have easily put that down to 12 without losing anything particularly is that just dramatic. if they censored it maybe <laughs> yeah if they, maybe if they censored it no I mean I, I think there are certain episodes which, which drag out a bit and you know I think you could have cut that down and certainly the later seasons are shorter and they do seem to be a little bit pacier for the you know the two episodes I've seen as well of the uh, second season but I am thoroughly enjoying it 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 takes a little while for me because it's a show that I've started two or three times to try and get into and then just got distracted by other things but now mm. I've got a reason for sort of focusing on it then I'm actually really quite enjoying it so I'm going to kind of try and work my way through the rest of that so I've been enjoying that sticking with the British theme Britannia the new Sky series 
series as well started last week. I've only seen the first episode, although the whole of it is available on Sky On Demand. I've only watched the first one at the moment. It's entertaining enough. If you like things like Vikings, it might slightly annoy you because I think Vikings, it feels more real. You know, it feels like it's based around genuine Viking culture. Mm. Whether it is or not, I don't know. Vikings is, I mean, because one of the reasons I didn't watch it was after a few episodes, I was just like, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And it sort of annoyed me because it was a History Channel production that was wildly inaccurate. But I don't know if it's still more accurate than than Britannia because I've I've not seen that one. Yeah, I mean, Britannia, I've enjoyed the first episode. I thought it was funny and well acted and stuff. There's a lot of stuff with the Druids, which, you know, he's he's sort of, they, they actually introduce it as being the Druids being the thing that kind of scared Julius Caesar off uh, doing anything with with Britain. He kind of decided it was a cursed land and sort of turned up, stayed for a few days and then left again. And this is a few hundred years later and it's like the invasion from Rome of like 20,000 troops kind of coming in. I honestly don't know how accurate any of it is, but I thought it was fun and entertaining and you've just got to kind of take everything with a little pinch of salt, I think, really. I mean, they've got people having visions, but there are people kind of using smoke and drugs and plants and things to provide those visions so it's it's not like it's overly mystical just slightly magic yeah yeah so it's not a realistic uh, level of magic yeah you know there is a a level of believability in that they could be using drugs or hypnosis or stuff like that i think that's sort of what they're aiming for of it's stretching the limits of credibility but i think it, it is possible that they could be drugging people or using some form of hypnosis or you know whatever to, to control them i think that's what they're aiming for i don't know how it's gonna continue i will watch a few more episodes of it but i am quite enjoying it and i mean it seems to have had a fairly mixed reaction from bits and pieces i've seen so we'll see how well it goes because i know they've poured a lot into this and they've hyped it quite a lot which was possibly a mistake but we'll see what comes of it. And then gaming-wise, I had to go watch Remains of Edith Finch, which we talked about with uh, Ross, which he mentioned a few weeks back. And uh, that really, really good storytelling game. You play the part of a girl who's sort of going home after she's inherited her old family house, having not been there for 20 years or so. And it's her going back and searching around this very weird and odd house for information about the rest of her family. Uh, okay. It only takes about two hours to play through. It's it's fairly short and it was 15 quid, which is quite a lot for a game, which is basically two hours long, but it is beautiful. And it, I mean, it is really nicely done and it's a really interesting idea. So uh, it's worth the play, but I would possibly wait until you've got it in a sale before you go and buy it because you will finish it quite easily within a couple of hours and uh, sticking with the storytelling games I I went with uh, Life is Strange which I've had for on my computer for ages and just haven't got around to finishing playing I played a little bit of it and they've just released a sequel to it or rather a prequel to it called Life is Strange Before the Storm the original Life is Strange follows a girl who's come back to her hometown hooks up with her old friend who is kind of annoyed with her because she ran off and to Seattle and left her to uh, fend for herself and she's going to a sort of quite posh prep school and this incident happens at the school and she discovers that she can reverse time and uh, that's the basic premise for the original game and then they do one which sort of follows the events before that where you don't play max who is the main character in life is strange you play her friend chloe who is the one that was left behind so uh, you you end up playing her through the second game but um, both of them are really fun and uh, really interesting good sort of story though they're, they're very much those interactive story kind of games uh, yeah we point. used to get a lot more games like that and then they kind of died out a little bit um, yeah. in favor of everything being the shiniest graphics ever so and I've heard a lot of good things about Life is Strange and I always found it quite interesting that they've based the sort of not superpower but the thing the character is aware of on the mechanism that we as the the player we uses which is if you don't do a level right you restart and she's effectively someone experiencing that game mechanic for real within a game 
Yeah. And that's yeah, quite definitely. interesting. And there's a lot of people cosplay as the, the characters from it as well. It's um, got quite a following. <laughs> yeah, it has. Uh, I mean, yeah, they, they are teen characters and uh, it's got that sort of, I mean, the entire thing feels a bit like you're playing through a sort of CW TV show, you know, <laughs> it's got that sort of feel to it, but it, it's really entertaining, thoroughly enjoyable. I preferred the end to of uh, Life is Strange Before the Storm to, uh, to the end of the main Life is Strange game i know that's coming for some criticism okay well i won't go into any details about it but (laughs) i know that came in for some criticism but i did really enjoy both of them though i i thought they were uh, they're excellent games well worth going to play if you've not picked them up yet because you can get them for fairly cheap i think at this point certainly the first one you should be able to Mm. so uh that's all the stuff we've been doing let's move on to some tv and film news TV and film news this week. We'll start off with some air date updates. There's this new show called Everything Sucks, which is coming to Netflix on the 16th of February. It's a kind of 90s set high school drama or drama comedy. If you kind of grew up in school in the 90s, I think, or if you, you remember the 90s fairly well as a, as a teen, I think this could be quite a good show for you. Yeah, but, uh, I'm not sure I want to relive that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, you know, it's it's going to be kind of lots of nostalgia about you because know, you're sort of pre iPods mm. and you know your discmans and that sort of stuff and uh, all mini sorts discs, of, yeah, and, mini discs, um, and uh, pages, yes, pages because you're sort of pre cell phones in a lot of cases. So that that's going to be uh, quite interesting. I think I I might take a quick look at that, but that starts on the 16th of February on Netflix. Amazon has renewed the tick for a second season, as we were talking about earlier. I, I enjoyed the tick as well. I think it's it's been quite fun that first season or first half of first season. Uh, that's coming back for the second half of season one on the 23rd of February. Then we've got a bunch of cancellations. They've cancelled the Shannara Chronicles has been cancelled, although it is being shopped to other networks. Did you watch any of these? Not particularly. No, it wasn't quite kind of grabbing me enough. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It just I didn't have a strong enough opinion on it to keep yeah. to keep watching it. I watched the entire first season and really enjoyed it. I, the second season, I've watched a few episodes of and it's it's not really grabbed me anywhere near as much for some reason. So um, I don't know whether it's the loss of certain characters or, or I'm not sure, but it's now been cancelled. They are shopping it to other networks. I mean, it may get picked up by somebody like Netflix, but I wouldn't hold my breath in all honesty. Amazon has cancelled three series. They've cancelled John claude Van Johnson, which was the Jean-Claude Van Damme thing, I Love Dick, which was the Kevin Bacon show, and uh, One Mississippi, which has been cancelled after two seasons. I've not watched any of those, so I have no opinion one way or the other. I know some people were saying, oh, I really liked I Love Dick and I really like One Mississippi, but, you know. Amazon UK has also picked up a show called The Bold Type, which runs on Freeform in the US. It's about a group of women, three women, that work at a fashion magazine, I think. No idea whether that's any good or not but uh, you can find that on Amazon UK I don't think we've got a date for when that's landing yet and uh, BBC3 have picked up the Australian drama series Romper Stumper which is a continuation of the movie from 25 years ago something like that which starred Russell Crowe and this is a TV series from the original writer of the movie and it continues the story of some of those characters and introduces some new characters as well and it's about sort of of uh, right-winning extremism in Australia, which, given everything that's going on at the moment, I think is fairly a timely thing to do. You can see why BBC3 have picked that up, I think. Moving on to bigger news, this was an interesting one. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost apparently are planning a TV comeback with a new horror comedy called Truth Seekers. The outline of the show sounds a bit Ghostbusters-y, I think. Possibly. Uh, It's one of those ones where you see the names involved and you're just like, this is going to be worth a watch. Yeah. And the rest of it, you're kind of skim reading because you're like, it's going to be funny. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be funny because they know how to write comedy and um, paranormal horror, horror comedy. Horror is not normally my area, but horror comedy yeah. quite often is. Because obviously I like all the Evil Dead yes. type things. Um, and, and Shaun of the Dead, of course. Yeah, yeah. These kind of things, they can work really, really well, especially in a, a TV format. You're not sort of set with the, any kind of standard pacing to it. You can yeah. you can do little bits and pieces and explore all your different gags in a different episode where they don't get kind of drawn out too long. So. 
I think this one could be good because um, Simon Pegg's not done any TV stuff in ages, has he? No, I mean, obviously they started off in TV with Spaced, but with, mm. Ed- with Edgar Wright. This is being done through their indie production company, which is called Stolen Picture, which is the production company set up by Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. They're actually saying that they're planning to focus more on doing stuff through that together than doing kind of other movies where they don't have as much creative control so the tv show they're looking at doing is truth seekers it's based on a three-person paranormal investigation team with each episode focused on a kind of monster of the week paranormal incident that's the sort of basic premise for that one they've also got a movie in production called slaughterhouse rules which is directed by Crispin Mills, set in a posh upper class UK public school. It's a satirical look at how the UK is selling off various assets. So the horror element for that comes is, is around fracking. So uh, they start fracking in the area and it unleashes some subterranean demon. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's the basic premise of I that like one. I like it. Topical and ridiculous. That's yes. got them all over it really. Hasn't exactly. It? So, uh, so that's that's one of the ones that they're doing. They also have, I think that's that's actually in post production at the moment. So that will be the first film to come out of Stolen Picture. They've also got film in development, which is about a fading double act who reunite for one last time decades after falling out. This they're talking about being a kind of low budget two hander thing where they can retain creative control and don't have to sort of involve lots of other people. So they're talking about doing that as a little kind of movie project as well so yeah yeah but the tv series it's only in development at the moment no broadcaster attached or air date or anything like that it's it's something they're talking about doing they have got a few other projects to get out of the way first simon pegg's got the next mission impossibles to do uh they're also promoting uh, ready player one because he's in that he's got a movie called terminal with margaret robbie you've got nick frost doing uh into the badlands uh he's got he's apparently in the new tomb raider film got a movie called fighting with my family with drain the rock johnson as well so uh, they've got a few things but they are planning on lowering those commitments to other stuff and focusing on doing their own independent things so they've got more control over it which i think is quite a cool idea yeah i like the idea of a kind of x-files ghostbusters slash direct parody which you don't even need to parody that much of the paranormal investigations reality shows we already get yeah but mixed in with their sense of humor that kind of almost writes itself a lot of it i should think Yes, yeah, I will it's think just their so. personalities and their sense of humour just will pull that through. Yeah, it should do. I mean, it's a perfect vehicle for them, so I'm looking forward to that. Over on Amazon, they've announced their first cast for this adaptation of The Boys that they're doing. The Boys being a, a comic book by Garth Ennis, who is the man that wrote Preacher. The adaptation's been done by Eric Kripke, who is the genius behind Supernatural and Timeless. For those who don't know the comic book The Boys, it's basically set in a world where the superheroes are are sort of all over the place and you've got mass vigilantes but quite often the superheroes are kind of dickish so they they want somebody to keep them in check when their egos get too big and they start to become reckless they have a team which is put together by the cia called the boys who are not a fan of the capes and the idea is that they're formed together as a way to control and if necessary bring down the superpowered people the casting they've announced isn't for the boys themselves it's actually for the seven which is the main superhero team and do you know this book at all because it's not one I'd read. I do. Yeah, it's it's good. It's another one of those ones that's quite dark and a bit evil and a bit satirical. And when they announced they were going to adapt it, I was like, ah, oh, that's an interesting choice. You know, we had, <laughs> you know, got things like Happy again, you know, yeah. going to be on our screens. And now this as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's quite good and it's quite dark. It assumes some familiarity with superhero stuff, but I think anyone that watches any of your big budget superhero movies will get what they're saying with some bits, but also works sort of on its own as well. It's, it's not a direct parody of anything in particular it more takes kind of the cliches and sort of looks at something slightly more realistic because not everybody who happens to fall from another planet or be 
zapped with magical gamma rays or things is a nice guy. Yeah. Um, and yeah. sometimes power goes to people's heads. So even if they start off nice, once they've got the power that they could technically rule the world, they aren't necessarily going to become super villains. They might not be evil, but it doesn't, doesn't mean they're going to be your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. No, I mean, the superheroes in quotes in this are really not a pleasant bunch from the character descriptions that I was reading. I mean, they appear to be sort of based around the Justice League archetypes. They've got Anthony Starr, who is cast as playing Homelander, who is kind of their Superman character. Anthony Starr was the lead in Banshee, if you remember the uh, that TV show. So, yes, that was a really good show, actually. He's, yeah, it was. Yeah, he's a good actor. Yeah, he's been cast as uh, Homelander, who is sort of the Superman character, basically an amoral jerk and a, a sexual predator. He's sort of mantra appears to be with great power, comes absolutely no responsibility and it basically means that he thinks he can do whatever he likes so yes it's superman without the kind of wholesome image attached to it seems to be <laughs> the uh, the premise for that nathan mitchell who has been in eyes on being supernatural is playing black noir who's basically they're standing for batman i mean i i won't go into what some of the stuff that he apparently does certainly in the comic book version but he's incredibly br- brutal and uh mysterious i don't think talks particularly in the comic books either but a very very unpleasant character and not somebody you want to make in a dark alley you've got dominique mcgelliot who is queen mave who is kind of the wonder woman type character he's basically an alcoholic after the seven botcher job trying to save people on 9 11 she becomes this raging alcoholic which is obviously not the best thing at the best of times but it's kind of worse when you've got some of the most potent superpowers on a superhero team Jesse T. Usher, who is uh, playing a character called A-Train, who is basically the speedster and young and cocky and responsible for the death of the girlfriend of one of the uh, members of the boys. Then you've got Chase Crawford, who is in Gossip Girl. He's playing a character called The Deep, who is sort of their version of Aquaman. And it sounds like they treat him like a lot of DC fans treat Aquaman as well, who's a sort of lesser member of the team, even though he sort of fly, has superhuman strength and durability. He's not really seen as a particularly important member of the team although his costume does have an aquatic theme it doesn't really seem that he has any nautical based powers that anybody's seen anyway i always feel sorry for aquaman <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So super kind of, friends destroyed aquaman he's a seriously strong character he, he is he is he was cool in the comic books there was nothing silly about him his costume and his powers and things were no sillier than anyone else's in the comics and then i'm pretty sure it was super friends one of one of the really childish cartoons came out and it he was just so silly and I think he was used for the kind of moral of the week message type yeah. Captain Planety type things so they just kind of undermined him completely and then he just became this massive running joke so it makes sense that he's the least horrible of the characters in this one because he's yes. kind of yeah. he's more sort of downtrodden for no apparent reason yes I mean in, in this variation the deep basically seems to be not like the murderous kind of rampaging jerk that a lot of the others are but he's he's sort of interested in money more than helping people so he's not a particularly yeah. nice character pay for that spandex somehow yeah exactly very much so <laughs> um so i mean the character descriptions of those are actually based on the comic book characters which i found they're not like the official ones from the tv show so i don't know how that's going to change if that's going to change much for the tv show it's uh, evan goldberg and seth rogan who were responsible for preacher are the people directing it with the writing from eric kripke it's not going to be some fluffy superhero thing it's it's going to be probably dark extremely graphic as well i suspect if you've ever seen preacher you'll know the sort of thing that they're likely to go for preacher was more approachable and likable on tv than it was in the comic so i'm suspecting that they will soften this a little bit but maybe the success of things like preacher will show them that tv can actually be pretty hard hitting yeah. and banshee was pretty dark and hard hitting itself and um really sort of didn't let you off at any point there was no sort of fluffy nice endings for anyone yeah. in that one so hopefully stuff like that will 
let them stay a little bit closer to the feel of the, the comic than people normally dare to. We'll yeah, see. It's going to be an interesting one to watch. No air date for that yet, but uh, we'll keep you posted when we know a bit more. If they're shooting now, it's probably going to be late in either this year or early next year, I would have thought. Last big news story we have is Freeform are looking at a reboot of Party of Five, apparently, US network Freeform. It's another one for you 90s kids. And... I mean, do you remember the TV show Party of Five? I think it, it ran on Channel 4, I think, over here. Vaguely. It wasn't something I ever followed. Right. There were no spaceships in it. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, it was it was a family drama, basically. It was about yeah. a group of five siblings who were left orphaned when a drunk driver kills the parents. That leaves the 24-year-old who was a sort of womanising runabout called Charlie, uh, played by Matthew Fox, who then goes on to star in Lost. He has to take over as the head of the family and They've also got a 16-year-old called Bailey, played by Scott Wolf, 15-year-old Julia, played by Niv Campbell, an 11-year-old Claudia, played by Lacey Shabbat, and a baby as well called Owen. So that was the original premise of this sort of bunch of kids left to fend for themselves when their parents are killed. The new version has a bit of a kind of immigration twist. You can see why they think this would be an interesting one to bring back at the moment, because the idea in this particular case is it still be five siblings of varying ages, but the five children are Mexican-American and they're left to survive when their parents are deported back to Mexico. You can see why they're sort of looking to do this now. It's from the original creators of Party of Five who are working with Mikhail Zebedee, I think the name is, who has worked on Castle and Devious Maids. Uh, she's a first-generation American writer of Costa Rican and uh, Panamanian roots. So they've obviously wrote that voice in to, to help them out with it. Freeform has given the show a put pilot order which basically means that if Freeform don't take it forward, they have to pay a hefty fine to them for, for not picking up the pilot. You can see why they want to do this. I can see it working. I mean, there's so much stuff going on around the US around immigration right now that uh, this seems fairly timely. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a topical one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the original series ran for six years. It got Golden Globe for Best Television Series. You had uh, Fox going on to play the leading Lost. Wolf went on to star in Everwood and V and The Night Shift. Nev Campbell went on to star in the Scream franchise and was recently in House of Cards. It also gave big breaks to Scott Grimes, who was in ER and you can currently see piloting The Orville, and uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt as well. It was one of her early shows who went on for The Ghost Whisperer and Criminal Minds and stuff. So it was a very good platform for uh, a lot of actors to get their break and uh, was a huge show at the time. So I, I don't know. I'd be interested to see whether this moves forward and uh, how they, they deal with it. But uh, it, it looks it's going to be one to look out for, I think. So that's all the news for this week. Next up, we have the interview. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So the interview this week is with the composer Ariel Marks. Ariel is the composer of The Tale, which has just premiered at uh, Sundance this week to uh, huge success. It landed the first standing ovation of the festival, apparently. The film follows an investigation into one woman's memory as she's forced to re-examine her first sexual relationship and the stories we tell ourselves in order to survive. It stars the recent Emmy winner Laura Dern, Jason Ritter and Common. I mean, you think about how many composers we've interviewed over the years on this and this is the first time we've actually been offered an interview with a female composer so you can tell how few female composers there are out there so we talk a bit about that and discuss her experience as a female composer in a male-dominated industry and how the tale is a meaningful and timely story which is announced by her score we go through all that and some general stuff too here's the interview with ariel hope you enjoy it we'll see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on tv <laughs> 
Hi there. Hi, Ariel. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for calling. It's the uh, first time I've ever spoken to a female composer. And <laughs> given, given that I must have interviewed about 50 composers at this point. <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Very rare. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. lovely to have you on. Um, do you want to start by just giving me a bit of background about you and how you got into composing. Sure. Yeah. You know, I've always, I've played many instruments since I was a little kid. So I always, you know, violin, flute, miscellaneous, plucked instruments, all sorts of guitars and, and just tried to kind of collect as many instruments as I could. And so I've, I've always been a musician and, and then I kind of began composing and I have a very artistic family and I often tried to kind of be inspired by, by, my family and the art that they created. My mom's a visual artist and I first kind of got into creating little pieces, 3D pieces of work and kind of creating uh, music for them just as kind of a multi-sensory experience. And I was um, talking with a friend of mine and who's also a songwriter and composer. And he said, wow, that actually sounds kind of like a film score. And I had always, you know, I, I had always been in love with storytelling and films and, and film music. And it kind of just clicked that, oh yeah, I can, I could possibly pursue that. And, and so I spent a few years after that, getting uh, formally trained in composition. And and then I got my master's at NYU uh, in their film scoring department, and it just kind of developed from there. So just kind of an early love of visual and, and music pairing. Just it's, it's, it's pretty amazing that the career exists, that the path exists. It's just, it's really exciting to be a part of. Yeah, yeah. So the thing that you've been working on quite recently is a uh, film called The Tale. How did you get involved with that project? Yeah, so I, during my time at NYU, I participated in a workshop funded through ASCAP or co-sponsored by ASCAP through actually Columbia University and, and ASCAP, the performing rights organization. And they select a few ASCAP composers and um, they pair them with, well, the filmmakers choose them. So there's filmmakers from Columbia University who have been chosen and who have short films that need music kind of sort through a list of composers and find the ones they resonate with. And I was connected with director Daniel Nixon and producer Reka Posta on their short film, Dear Mother. And Reka, the producer, and they're both co-writers of that film. Um, and Reka was, is one of the, uh, she's been involved with the tale since before its development, um, or since during its development. And, um, so it's a, it's a project that she's, uh, very close to and has worked with a long time. So she was ultimately the one who, who connected me with Jennifer. Jennifer's the writer and the director of the film. It's got a great cast though. You've got Laura Dern, Common, Jason Ritter in there as well. So how did you approach the music for, for this? It's interesting and it's different with every person. We, in my initial talks with Jennifer, we just had to decide on a palette first. So it was, you know, it's an investigative thriller. It's also, I mean, it's a really complex story, um, but it, so it has to have a score that can kind of live and breathe and evolve with all these different aspects of it. So we had to decide on a palette first. So what kind of instruments were we going to use? And we decided to keep it quite small. And, and so we chose um, strings, guitar, piano, some bells, and then also electronics. And we kind of made it moldable and breathable. So depending on the context, depending on different layers of memory, we're, we're exploring through different aspects of the film that we can kind of accentuate and bring out different elements that have, that have come to kind of codify different things. So first I came up with a few themes and kind of different, different palettes. And I like to talk about it a lot as color. So, you know, different combinations of instruments have different colors and different ways of relating to, to visuals. And so just kind of figuring out which themes we're working best with, with what sort of context, what part of the story, what character, um, what um, stage of development the character is in, et cetera. And then we, we played around. The film has a lot of music. And so it was a really amazing opportunity to just kind of play and evolve. And there's a lot of room in it to kind of 
go to lots of, to explore different areas within the palette I had. So, you know, just in terms of emotional depth and, and complexity. So it was, you know, it just began with kind of making sure we had the right tools. So the right instrumentation, which then gave it a specific tone and then just, just expanding within that and then playing around within that. Um, so it was, you know, it was just really fun and small and I, yeah, I'm, I'm personally a big fan of it. And I really, the process was really fun and, and, and moving and emotional. And, um, it was very collaborative. And so that's, that's kind of how we came to the, the palette. Yeah. Nice way of working that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was great. Are you using live instruments most of the time or are you using samples or is it sort of a mixture of both? It's always a combination of both. I mean, I think people always try to, I mean, it really depends on what the aesthetic you're trying to get. I think with live instruments, you can always get a sense of character and performance that you wouldn't necessarily be able to get with samples. And, mm. but there's a, that being said, sample libraries are evolving and, and getting better and better and better and have, you know, it's, it's absolutely insane. The flexibility you have within sampled instruments these days, just for instance, the Joshua Bell violin by Embertone, there are, I won't get too nerdy about it, but there are just <laughs> an insane amount of ways you can adjust every single parameter. So if you're willing to take the time, you can really make it sound like a live performance without having to hire Joshua Bell, which you couldn't <laughs> afford. So, so anyways, I like to, you always do a combination of both and some live recording, some sample libraries, some electronics, some synths. Um, and I think personally, just people who are able to kind of combine that end up having the most unique voices or, or ways to kind of have really fresh ideas because you know that you're, you have an element in there that someone else doesn't have in a, in a sample library. So it's always, you know, but then people also modify sample libraries and make, you know, make their own sounds within them. Mm. So it's kind of all, that's like the beauty of, of sample libraries is they're so amazing, uh, and accurate and, and, and lifelike and can inspire you, but you also don't want to just end up using the same tools that everyone has. Cause then we all end up sounding the same. So kind of ways to kind of evolve within them is what I strive to do. Yeah. I guess there's a mixture of budget when it comes to this sort of thing. I'm sure you would love to have a full symphonic orchestra at your disposal at all, all times, but unlikely right. on a smaller budget film. For this particular film, what was the most challenging element for you? It's interesting talking about it before it's been released because I can't talk about too much about yeah. it, but I, but, but to, you know, to kind of before it's been released to say what I can say, there's a lot of complexity to it. So it's not, um, you know, the main element, the main kind of mechanism in the film is how we deal with memory and um, how we deal with a certain memory we have. And we all have an experience of this, of a memory of something. And perhaps someone says something that kind of changes, oh, maybe it didn't exactly happen that way. Or if you think about the memory five years later and 10 years later, and it changes. So all based on kind of the context we give it. And, and so dealing with and kind of honoring memory and layers of memory and slight changes of, of memory. And what do, you know, so I kind of had to, how do I score these kind of opposing uh, feelings sometimes? You know, how can something be childlike yet mature or, um, innocent yet harmful or, um, any, you know, any of these kind of diametrically opposed emotions kind of how, so how do I approach that? And this film ended up needing music that wasn't too strong. It wasn't too, it was, it had to be neutral in some ways it had to have, you know, it's not trying to tell you how to feel. You just, you, you're given everything you need. And, and so just kind of, how do I, it, it kind of becomes its own character and that it's kind of growing and shaping alongside the main character. And so I think the biggest challenge was to kind of just dial down and stay really subtle and to also kind of change just alongside the characters. So it became a lot about, you know, if you're working with such a small palette, it means like turning up 
okay, do the strings need to be grittier or detuned here? Do they need to be closer mic'd? Do they need to be, how do I make this scene uh, more mature or unsettling or investigative with just the small palette that I have? So it meant it was just tweaking things and kind of bringing things out and and dialing things back in to kind of work, you know, as like a needle kind of going, you know, as a meter, kind of reading the level of, of memory that we were in. So it was just a small palette that I had to kind of adjust and, and mold and sculpt and, and kind of evolve with, with the story. Yeah. So that, that was the biggest challenge, but I, it's, I mean, it was a challenge, but it was really fun and inspiring and invigorating to just kind of keep massaging the palette that we had. I had a wonderful time, just like a very fun, creative time on this film. Yeah, yeah. I'm quite looking forward to uh, seeing it when it goes on release. I'm assuming after it's been to Sundance, I would have thought that would be. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it will. As I mentioned to you earlier on, you are the first female composer, which seems ridiculous that I've spoken to. And I've, as anybody who's listened to these interviews that have gone out, there's got to be at least 30 to 50 composers we've spoken to over the course of me doing this so it seems ridiculous that you're the first female i can't think of any reason why that should be are there a lot more female composers in the industry or i don't see any reason why there wouldn't be it's a really interesting and and complicated subject it's i you know and i don't think anyone has the answer to that i think i mean personally i do know um many women who are at least in my in my stage of of the industry um you know and kind of just breaking into independent film and and kind of finding our footing and and you know we're we're at the 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 beginnings of our careers um and it's a really exciting time to be a part of it. And I think, you know, a lot of it just comes down to access and just being able to be, you know, given the chance to just show yourself. And I, I have no idea why it's so low. I mean, um, I think, yeah, below the line crafts. I remember reading an art, a variety article one or two years ago, but that, yeah, it's, it's kind of one of the least represented, you know, in terms of music supervisors, music editors, cinematographers, et cetera, um, that it's like, it's one to 2%. And why I have no idea. I know in, you know, in my the master's program that I went to, uh, several years ago, it was very equal in terms of men and women. And so this generation, at least of composers is growing and creating, you know, more access and more, more ability for us. So I have no idea, but (laughs) it's, you know, it's like, I, it's, it's a really exciting time to be in the industry and people are really thinking and reevaluating what voices are missing from, from the industry, from, you know, in actors, directors, all in front of the camera, behind the camera, just thinking about representation. And, um, you know, there's so many wonderful initiatives that are happening. And also it's just, it's just an exciting time to be, you know, a composer and a female composer. And there's a lot of support and a lot of positivity around it all. Um, ultimately I think everyone, anyone just wants to be viewed for their craft, you know, and not necessarily what they are. But they, but it's also an important time to make sure that all these different voices are, are being heard. So I don't know. I don't know. And someone, and when, when enough time has passed and there's enough you know, sociological <laughs> studies, we can figure out why this is going on. But there certainly are plenty of us around coming up and yeah i am not quite sure what what the reason <laughs> is but it's 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 just it's feeling better and i think everyone kind of knows that is that the industry is kind of growing and changing and expanding to include just so many more voices which is which is important yeah no absolutely yeah. Do you have any advice or to give to other composers, male or female, that are trying to get into the industry? So one of my favorite quotes and references is I have um, so a uh, a composer and mentor and friend, uh, Michael Levine, once said yeah. that he has a great analogy of getting into the industry and it always resonated with me and I found it 
very inspiring. And I try to kind of say it as much as I can. So he, and this is not verbatim and I think I've always screwed it up, but he (laughs) compared it to trying to get into a castle. And so trying to skirt, you know, break in and scurry your way and kind of dig, chisel away at the wall. One person gets in and then covers up there um, (laughs) the way they got in and no one else can get in that way again. So it's kind of, you know, like finding your own way and you cannot necessarily model your career off of anyone else's and I I always loved that because it just kind of meant that you had to rely on not necessarily chance but it is amount it it, there is an element of kind of things falling into place at the right time in the right place and so it just kind of meant you have it means you have to just work hard to be the best that you can and and to be ready for whenever that thing happens, whenever that moment opens. And then also to just try to network and create as many, you know, strong and meaningful collaborative relationships that you can and ones that uh, you'll be able to return to and that you, you, you would enjoy multi collaborations with. So I think in the way people and, you know, the many composers that I have talked to that are much farther along in their careers than I am, it's really just about staying true to your voice, having, you know, creating, how are you going to be different in this industry? Why your voice? How can, how is your voice different and how can you grow your voice and make yourself indispensable? And Mm. for me, I've had a lot of wonderful experiences with directors also in the same level of their career. And so kind of as we grow up and, and explore and expand our careers together, um, you know, we're kind of, we're still working together. So just getting in with people and when, when you're both kind of growing at the same level in your career, that's worked very well for me. It's been really meaningful for me. And and that has worked for a lot of other people that I know too. So it's just can happen in so many different ways. And I think that's both very frustrating and and inspiring. (laughs) You just kind of have to keep working and you have to just be ready. Yeah. I've heard similar things in, in the, there is a, a certain amount of luck in getting the big break, but it's being ready and prepared and having the talent to back it up when it lands. So, yeah. right, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. And and so, calling it luck or calling it whatever it is, it's just there's a, some combination of yeah. elements out of your control, but then making sure that you're you can rise to the task. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, last few questions for you. Sure. So the the two final questions you always ask people is uh, firstly, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? At this moment, I have been watching um, The Handmaid's Tale, which I've fallen in love with. I really loved that. Such a good um, show. Such a good show. I've been a huge fan of um, of The Americans. I've been watching a lot of that recently. Mm. Um, Nate Barr again. Jessica, yeah. <laughs> Nate Barr again, exactly. Um, Jessica Jones yeah. uh, was incredible. In terms of comedies, I've been watching The Good Place. I've had a lot of fun oh, with I that. I love that series. It's yes, amazing. I do too. Um, I've been just to be honest, not that great about catching up on everything this year. I've really loved Fargo. Yes. Um, yeah. So just kind of you know keeping, and I I need to be a better about it, but just keeping myself as well versed as possible in what every everyone is doing um the oa i really enjoyed oh stranger things of course yeah Yeah, so it's just a really exciting time for television and 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 you know just content in many different platforms it's pretty amazing and the quality that's being that's being produced so i'm super inspired by the industry right now just that there are so many wonderful ways to be involved in it and um, yeah, so those are the ones that I've been uh, enjoying most recently. Last question. If you had yes. the opportunity to work on any TV show, past, present or future, what show would it be? I mean, I would say the combination of drama with some specific need for the score, right? So it's like I really loved, I, I mean, I would, I'll just choose two um, that I just named. So The Americans or The Handmaid's Tale. They, you know, Nate is so wonderful kind of zoning in on on the the soviet palette as well you know they're having those those elements within the palette that he's using and and also in the handmaid's tale i think 
he did an amazing job with combining uh, electronics and, and acoustics to just kind of tear, you know, to kind of create a period piece, but also rip us out of it every once in a while. And so the, the aesthetic of that was really interesting to me. So just television shows that or films or whatever, but stories that kind of make you have to move and, and kind of explore the palette to kind of say something really different within it. I think that's really exciting. Great picks for shows. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. Uh, well, it's been lovely to uh, to spend a little bit of time talking through your stuff. Good luck with the film. Oh, thanks I hope so it does much. Yeah. really well at Sundance for you. And, uh, yeah, maybe come back on in 12 months' time or so and we'll see what else you've been working on. That sounds great. It was great to meet you and talk with you. Lovely to meet you too. Cheers. Have a great day. Take care. Bye. So that was the interview with Ariel Marks. Hope you enjoyed that. Next up, we have some highlights for next week on TV. Highlights for next week. Not many shows coming around next week. We're very, very short of things. They seem to have bumped everything a lot later this year. It seems to be sort of late February, March, spring. There's a lot of things got shifted back to spring, annoyingly, which is a bit of a pain. First up, we've got The Last Leg returning for season 13 on Channel 4. That's on the 26th of January at 10pm. You've got Blue Blood starting on the 27th of January at 9pm on Sky Atlantic and uh, Jane the Virgin returning for the second half of season four on Netflix on the 27th of January and that's everything for this week three shows that's all we've got to come back (laughs) anything else from you Uh, mostly just swinging lightsabers around rather inexpertly I think um, (laughs) I'm going to start putting up some videos and pictures and stuff of me trying to learn to uh, fend fend off my enemies like a true Jedi or Sith master as I go along so if anyone wants to follow that or all my other geeky articles and things I am Trista Bites uh, Bites with a Y because I'm that geeky and uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and obviously you can catch quite a few of my articles and videos on the geektown.co.uk website as well Awesome, yes and uh, if you want to find more stuff about uh, TV shows throughout the week you can go to geektown.co.uk see the latest air date info and news If you want to get in touch with your questions and comments you can email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk leave a message on the website post find us at Geektown on Twitter on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on instagram at geektown uk that's everything we shall see you next week bye bye take care guys sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion apply. See site for details.